Welcome to Vino Week, episode 49. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. This is Al. We're ready to talk wine, Bill. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. So what's going on this week? Well, I'm, I, we were just talking about this tank farm. Um, yep. Have you ever seen anything like that? It looks like a refinery. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of is, um, in a way. Um, not that big for wine. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, that looks like some of the dairy stuff that I've seen before, back in the yeah. back in the day with the when I when I lived in Wisconsin and lived in the Swiss cheese capital of the United States. I saw a few cheese factories that had those kind of silos and stuff. But we're talking about an article that Fred Swan <coughs> uh, uh, posted about. Big doesn't always mean bad was the title of the article. And I thought it had some really good points and it resonated with some of my, my experience, which, you know, at the scale that these people have to produce and, and the reason that the scale exists anyway is that they can make a very consistent product and a very consistent, I'm going to say the word clean product that that delivers at, at its price point a very, very good product. And so that's kind of the takeaway of the article is he kind of wanted to be that's my takeaway. He wanted to be a hater on some of this stuff, and when he started to take a look at it and, and got to visit it, it was, you know, quite the con contrary. Um, um, you know, it was also. I think he also. He was resident. He was also sort of. A, this was also a post from. He was a post reacting to um, uh, Jamie Good's uh, uh, blog on these sort of massive wineries. Yeah, yeah, Jamie, Jamie Good. He put something out. I think I want to say it was a few weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about it, it. Was titled "The World's uh, Three Largest Wineries." As it turns out, the world's three largest wineries are all owned by the same winery, wine company, <laughs> Gallo, <laughs> which is Gallo, and um, for ginormous. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so they've got wineries in Fresno. Um, they have one in Livingston, and they have one in Modesto. And if I'm not mistaken, they also have their own like bottling plant where yep, they actually yep. make their bottles. Yeah. Um is really, really, really big and actually they have a really large operation here in Sonoma County called Fry Brothers Winery, which is, you know, doesn't look the size of these that are in these pictures, but it's still oh, a it's pretty, so big. pretty big operation. Yeah. Um, you can see trucks lined up and backed up dry creek road during harvest time which we're just starting to get into and they're just they're just lined up to get in there and offload their grapes it's quite the sight um what i got out of this article was that fred uh fred swan is um you know we've met him a couple times at, at uh, venues yep and uh, he, he's he's a good guy he he, he writes for some um a bunch of different publications. I think he writes for the Psalm journal also, mm. but when this, when this came out, the, when the piece came out for <clears throat> Jamie good, there was a whole bunch of people that were bashing Gallo. And I guess you could say, I put out a tweet. I guess you could say I almost, uh, in a way was bashing them. Although I, it was tongue in cheek because I just put out a post about the picture that he had up. And, um, and basically what I said was, that's a lot of handcrafted wine. <laughs> nice. So there was a lot of stuff like that. Nice. Now, yeah. but 
So, you know, what he's saying is that the quality of the wine, you know, does not necessarily go hand in hand with the with the size of the winery. And then he says, you know, he's he's had wines at places that make just, you know, several hundred cases of wine and the wine was horrible. And he's had wines at places that make, you know, two million cases and the wine was, you know, consistent and clean and, uh, you know, very good. So, you know, I guess it all comes down to, you know, what's in the bottle just depends on the people that are behind the operation, because the people that run the Gallo operation, and it's been my experience that, that whatever they do, they do, uh, they do it really well. They make a really fine, wholesome product. If they buy a property, they always improve the property. They're um, pros. They're pros. Yeah. There's a reason they're the world's third. They're, they're, they have the world top three wineries in terms of production. I mean, it's yeah. just it, they, you just don't get there without being able to do that. And I think the other thing that you know we enjoy this as as sort of a, as as a hobby and sort of you know, participating in this. And of course there are plenty of people who write about this and, and there's an audience I'll say for this sort of type of dialogue around this stuff. Most of the people in the world who drink wine, most of them, they're very satisfied with the product that these people produce. They're, they're happy to go buy a $6 bottle of wine from one of these producers. And it's, it tastes the exact same way. Every time they buy it, they like it. It's not out of their comfort zone where you'd put some of the stuff we've had before and they probably aspirated on you. Like, what are you yeah. trying to give me? This is horrible. So, you know, we, we, you know, I, you know, trying to punch, they're not trying, they're also not trying to be that complex sort of small producer vineyard. That's not their market. And you, you know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, you know, I think of the factories that I was in when I was, when I was younger in high school and college, you could eat off the floors in our factories those things yeah. were clean, super clean. Um, and we made a lot of product. Um, and you had to be that way. All the ingredients were awesome. Um, and, you know, the production was was flawless and a lot of money on how to do that. And then it was clean. So, yeah, I, I take away the same same thing. I, I do have to say that I did love this this paragraph. I, I, wait, I have tasted way too many wines in my life that were bouncing with volatile acidity, re-fermenting in the bottle, completely dominated by bretomyosis, or, and this is my favorite, smelled like a dumpster in Death Valley. Yeah. Not one of them was from a massive producer. Yeah, it's true because there's so much, when you look at the, the scale, they have so much more to risk. You know, if you've got 842, uh, you know, 10,000 gallon tanks of wine <laughs> you right. want to you know you get something in one tank and it gets cross contaminated in another tank think all the product you could lose right so they have to be uh, extremely diligent just because of the quantities right. of juice that they're working with right right so uh, their lab must be just like it's an gotta incredible be. <laughs> place to go through well he, he he wrote that they have i think four winemakers on staff that are just they're just R&D people yeah all they do. You know, so they're, you know, when we say chemistry experiment, you know, that these things are, well, chemistry in the sense that they're, you know, they're, you know, they're not adding things to the wine. They're trying to manipulate the production process and the blend to get consistency. 
Plus, you also think about where, okay, so where do the inspectors go? There's inspectors for checking on all these places. <laughs> They're going to go to these big ones for the same reason that these guys have to be clean and produce a consistent product. The Anybody who's doing regulatory things and, and inspecting and making sure they're obeying the laws, you know, are really... Um, you know, they're going to go check out these places because if there's a problem, it could be really big in, in one of these things. <clears throat> yeah, it could affect a lot of people. Yeah. So they got, what I'm trying to say is they get a little more attention in your average winery, unless you do something really nefarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, here's another little, I mean, Gallo is just, is so big. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm mesmerized by their size. Now, you know, through my, course of, through my course of, uh, you know, because I work in Sonoma County, I've, I've gone to some, you know, some fairly large wineries, and I see the, you know, I went, to, I was at a winery the, um, last week, and, you know, I was driving by their uh, crush pad, and they had these huge bags of, um, I don't know if people know this, but there's a, there's a couple ways you can make wine. You know, people people are accustomed to having the oak flavor in wine. People like the oak. It's like the catnip of of wine. But if you're in a bind and for space and you want to get the same effect, you can just use oak chips that are in bags. And a lot of wines do that. It's like a tea bag. You know, you get this big, huge bag. It's full of oak chips. You just dump it in the wine. You leave it in for the amount of time that you want to extract that oak oak flavor from it. And, but once it's done, what do you do with it? They're just throw, they're going to throw it away. Or you bag them up and dry them out. Bag them up and sell them for, you know, red wine, oak chips for your barbecue. Yeah. So so these <laughs> things. Yeah, these things are exactly. So these things are outside. They're just laying out back in the winery, and I'm driving by. And these are the type of things that you see at big wineries. Now I'm not saying you would see this at Gallo. But these are the type you wouldn't normally see this at a smaller winery. They're using barrels. Yeah. You know, they, they've got, you know, so there's different ways to make. To <laughs> there's make one things. way to impart oak flavor. It doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be in a barrel. Exactly. Could just but be in Gallo, a big tank. They don't mention the other winery. I bet you the fourth largest winery is up in Cloverdale. It's the Asti Winery. Oh, and I don't know this for sure, but that winery is massive. It has, like, incredible capacity. And they don't have that one on this list, but that's another big winery that they own. So Gallo processes, I know maybe like 10 years ago, they processed almost three quarters of the fruit, the grapefruit material that was harvested in Sonoma County. That's an I don't know what that is now. Yeah, that's an insta- That's a crazy statistic. But that's, yeah. you know, but that, you know, so much makes sense from a manufacturing point of view. You know, we make up, we make up profit and volume. You know, it's you know, yeah. I got to make a lot, a lot, a lot of wine. You yeah. know, because I got a lot of factory now. <laughs> well, so they have you... a, they have tremendous uh, processing capacity. I guess is my point. And, uh, so when, when you have when you have that type of processing capacity, um, there's one thing that you have more than anybody else has. You can set the price per ton for that's, grapes. That's what I was going to ask. So you, you have the power to set the price. So which is, this is this whole thing about consolidation. This is where consolidation comes in. And this is where growers 
get very nervous because they like they don't like the market that defined and that tight where one producer can actually set the price because obviously you know <laughs> they're under the thumb so that's something to consider when you see all this consolidation that's going on in in the in the wine business not only on the uh, distribution side but on the production side and we're going through a period right now in time where lots of people that have been in the wine business for 60 uh, they started, say, in the 70s or the 80s. They're getting into their golden years. Maybe their kids don't want to take over. Maybe yeah. they want to sell to one of these larger wineries. Yeah, just sell it. You know, this yeah. is this is what's happening in Sonoma, Napa, and Mendocino County. It, we're seeing consolidation on the production side, and um, uh, it makes it uh, it makes it a little bit more challenging for uh, farmers, as we're finding out with this uh, this whole thing with. Uh, constellations you know selling their product or selling their lines it's the same thing it it causes a a lot of ripples uh, yeah throughout the business yeah yeah so uh that's all i got on the size of gallo but if you ever get an opportunity i mean gallo you can't tour it you know that you know you you'd have to it's almost like a secret mission getting in there the only reason i could get into one of those is that i'm you know you're I work for a vendor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. But, well, but you can't just go into a Gallo property. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm reading that article and I'm like, oh, I'm Modesto. Next time I'm through there, I want to take the tour. <laughs> Guess not. Not so much, my friend. No. Which is, I, I, and I'd be fascinated by it. And I understand there, there's probably trade secret stuff they don't want to, they don't want to expose, or you know, they, you know, no, at times too, you don't want people just wandering through your plant. They bring yeah, dirt. No. They bring you know. They bring bretomyces in, among other things. Well, um, even even wineries that do give tours, they have a you know. It's very structured. Usually, they're just you're going to see what they want you to see. Oh, well, you have to. And, yeah, you're not. You know, you're not wandering through the you know the, the mechanics room and the, <laughs> the no, certain but, part of the where where they're, where they're actually doing stuff. You know, it's all about a visual. Look at those beautiful barrels. Exactly. Ah. <sighs> uh, Making this fine wine for you. So, um, where do we go from there, Bill? We want to move on to some uh, people maybe uh, not doing uh, the best thing for the environment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know the um, what is this guy's name? Rise. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I think it's Reese. Reese. Yeah. It's R Y S. I lost it here. It's R R Y R H Y S. Sorry, Reese. Reese. Kevin Harvey um, is a Silicon Valley investor. I think he's the 27th. One, there's some list. He's like number 27 on in terms of wealth. Wow. He is up there. Man. Yeah, that's a lot of money. He's a billionaire. Crazy. He's going to probably be a billionaire, if not high, you know, high hundreds of millions. Um, so he brought up. He brought a 5,000-acre property in Mendocino County, wanted to plant 20 acres um, of it. And, of course, they decided the best land was land that should be environmentally protected. So they just kind of ripped it up, paved it over, and planted their vines. And so they got they got caught. Thank, thank goodness somebody noticed there was something going on. I mean, these guys filled in a creek in a wetland. Yeah. It's yeah, gone. They, they it's, basically – It's yeah. gone. And then, and they, they raped, got they yeah. raped the land. Yeah, and then and 
and and I mean it's agree in my mind it's egregious because they had five thousand acres to choose from. Okay, so forty five hundred and ninety one acres, four thousand five hundred ninety one acres. I'm gonna call it five k. Um, we could quibble. We can you round know, it. We, we can, can round. We up. can quibble, and uh, you know you can give me some of the rounding of your millions. No, and and it's not about that. Um, it's about and the fine they got was three three point seven six million, which you know. Um, as the article rightly points out, it's like finding an NBA player a hundred bucks. Um, and I understand this person's um, business, Reese Vineyard's business, might be separate from his wealth. Although I still, I, I personally believe that he, there's some personal responsibility there that should have never happened. And you know, if you get, I, I'd, I'd love to see this guy in operation where he's like, oh, we're stewards of the land, blah blah blah. Um, that needs to be just like somebody should sue them for putting out that kind of stuff if they do. Um, yeah, the fine is just so small, in my opinion, and there is no, it doesn't appear to be that there's any other impact to the business from this. And, you know, there's a lot of people who work pretty hard to try to preserve some of Mendocino County. Yeah. Um, it was a county back in the day, all of this area. Um, you know, we didn't know any, we didn't know what we knew then. So we were just building, you know, building stuff. So we took clear cut forest and built roads and it's 2020. We know better now. And this guy's basically doing the same thing. It got fined, nothing for it. Um, I think they ought to pay that money in perpetuity. <laughs> you can well, pay, you can do it, but the problem you is can pay they three, don't have, they don't have that type of they don't the the committee that's finding him you know yeah they don't have the power they don't have the power to do that so. yeah yeah i mean these guys i think these guys should just pay and it's not like they don't have the money <laughs> that's the thing that kills me they probably could have put planted where they wanted to if they'd done it the right way they just didn't want to go through all the the paperwork yeah and they didn't want to go through all the delays yep and they didn't want to go through all the, the environmental impact reports. They just wanted to do it. And they said, well, just do it. And then, you know, if we get caught, no, or basically, they probably said, yeah, when we get gonna, caught, we'll just pay the check. Yeah. yeah. And we've just seen some of that behavior here in Sonoma County, too. Um, I can't remember one of the, it was a fairly well-known Pinot producer that just got nailed for doing something in their vineyard that they weren't supposed to be doing. There's a very popular meme about the Silicon Valley bro. And I understand how it happens when you get people like this who are, you know, just completely disregarding everybody else, pushing their, pushing whatever they're pushing in spite of the rules because they've got a lot of money. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some validity to that. You talk to social psychologists, they'll tell you things like stereotypes exist for a reason. They're not saying it's bad or good. It's just like, they understand how it happens and the bro meme i'm just saying that in relation to the bro meme but i really like um um what blake has to say at the uh mr gray has to say at the end of the article which is you know best thing you can do review a different wine yeah let's not support this (laughs) guy yeah he's a a bad he's a bad he's a bad actor so i'm not not, I, i you know you know drive yeah just move on and on that note we will move on to somebody else who borders on bad acting so it seems well, one, that go one, ahead one, go one ahead. quick thing about go reese on. yeah um 
you know, you can, you can, um, you can't buy these wines. Um, I mean, it's, it's, they're pretty hard to find the Reese Vineyard wines. I mean, you have to, it's a mail order, you know, you have to get on the list. It's a, um, they're building exclusivity. They're trying to build a brand. Yeah. So, and then you, you know, when you're on the list, you know, you have to buy X amount within a certain amount of time. And if you don't buy it, then you get dropped off the list. And, you know, it's that whole, that whole thing. And we're talking, I mean, they're not charging small amounts of money for their, I mean, some of their, um, their newer stuff, their, their Pinot Noirs are, and they're close to a hundred bucks a bottle. So I've never had their wines. But uh, I'm probably not going to have their wines. <laughs> yeah, I, I just um, there are plenty. I, I, as Mr. Gray points out, plenty of things to try. Yep, yep. So we got some other. We got some other bad actors. Well, there? I don't know that they're bad actors, but they're definitely they're. You know, so this is an article about Amazon and them them. I don't want to say getting into I you know they've been at this for a while so Amazon is now you know you, if you live in the right geography you can get um, wine and liquor delivered from Amazon you can buy it online and they as part of California law I think they have to have to have a brick and mortar presence a physical presence where you can go buy things yep. but so this is another article um, that uh, uh Blake Gray wrote on on sort of them I'll just say using the rules to their advantage so it doesn't I and it, you might have gotten this out of the article I didn't see I think there's I don't know what the rules are there's some rules about what you have to carry in the store I'm not even sure that that's true but the article goes on to talk about you know the these seem to all be in Southern California too. these stores oh I take that back there's one in Sacramento and one in uh, Sunnyvale. Oh, and there's one that's they've applied for one in San Francisco. So, um, but anyway, he went and visited one of these stores, and they had, you know, they had. They're like, what? What would you like to have? Well, I'd like, I'd like to buy the, some whiskey. They're like, well, we have two kinds of whiskey here in the store. You can buy that. They're showing him on an iPad. Yeah. So, you know, but he can mail order like like he could get on the Amazon app and get any whiskey in the world delivered to his house in in, a, in four hours or something crazy like that. So he's just trying to point out that they're, you know, they're being very. He's describing his store experience there and then saying, "Hey, you know, can understand why people are kind of you know upset about this because they certainly seem to be, you know." Um, Manipulating the rules somewhat, or at least pushing the envelope. Uh, manipulating the rules somewhat. God, you're being so kind today. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, I don't. But I don't know. I mean, is it? Is it? I mean, is it illegal? I don't know. <laughs> well, first of all, <laughs> we gotta. I don't. This goes back. Uh, this goes back to the. The first week of August, I believe. 230 wines and 82 whiskeys that you can get delivered, but only two in the store. <laughs> the warehouse is next door, man. You can't bring it over. Can't show it well, on the iPad, bring it over. That's probably illegal. I, I just think that's great. Well, this all this all stems from uh, Blake's been on a tear lately. And um, 
Amazon. I guess Jihad. he talked his he talked his editors into giving him uh, giving him a stipend to roll down to L.A. and to check out this Amazon this secret Amazon store. So he he gets on a plane. He goes down there. He thinks, all right. I got the corporate credit card. I'm going to go down. I'm going to buy some wine. You know, kind of do a little <laughs> Just order it. <laughs> so he's cruising down there, and he's trying to find this store. And it's got an address. So he goes there to the address, and he takes photos and everything. But there's no store at this address. It's just this huge building. It's a warehouse. So the deal is, Amazon supposed to have in order to be able to 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 push out um, these these products, the, their booze products. They have to. They're supposed to have a storefront where people can actually go in and purchase the products or some of the products that That's are. What I'm saying. In their online store. So at the beginning of August, when he went down to do this, he found no such store. There was no store. So fast forward. There is now. <laughs> Amazon slaps together a store real quick. It just it was it was on schedule. You just weren't here when the project was completed. <laughs> they probably have documentation for that stuff too. They're a machine. They, it's unbelievable. So you know they they've slapped the store together, but you know it'll be interesting to see if they get fined because they've had this license for a while and they've been operating without actually following the rules of what are laid out for the license to begin with. Well, but so, it's, but it's Amazon. Yeah, I but mean, well, wait a minute. That's what, I, what are the rules, though? That's well, what I'm I mean, interested in. Like, does the rule say that you have to make everything available that you mail order in their store? Not everything available, but I would imagine that the reason that the rule that is there to begin with is to make it for the government's trying to make it to where there's fair and equal uh, uh, there's equity uh, between competition. The, yeah. So let's say I they're have trying. So let's, the government's trying to regulate competition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a problem right there. Obviously. I'm just, and we're talking about the liquor business, right? Wasn't there just a Supreme Court case where I had to live in a state so long before I could buy liquor? I mean, sell liquor. I'm just right. saying. I know, uh, and and I'm a consumer, so you know, as long as you're not crushing the environment, and I get cheaper booze, I'm not sure I care about the brick and mortar store. Yeah, I know it's a it's a tough one, man. It's, it's really a tough one. But you know, yeah. I mean, the fact remains is they're supposed to part of the part of the agreement was they're supposed to have a store that, in some way, is <laughs> supposed is to that? look like a store that the small mom and pop would have. I. I do. And they had no store. Yeah. They weren't even trying to even pretend that they had a store. Now they're at the point where they're pretending that they have a store. I, I just it it kills me because this is all like I can see, I can see Jeff Bezos, Bezos, Jeff. I don't, I don't, I I can never spell his name right, and I don't have an Alexa handy, else it would tell me. Seriously, you can ask it who its creator is or who the founder of Amazon is, I'll tell you. Oh, um, he'll say we're customer obsessed and no customer asked for a store. They came down and asked for a store and in under a month we had a store for them. There we go. We are customer obsessed. What do you want from me? What? How can we help you today? 
But you had to have one by law. Well, we were, yeah, we were getting there. <laughs> that was on schedule too. <laughs> so they've got a store now, and you can walk in there, and there's a little buzzer. You hit that buzzer, and <laughs> somebody comes out and asks you what you want. And if you want something they don't have, they tell you, you can go online and order it. And it'll be there in four hours. Yeah. So what's the problem? We're, what is the problem? We are going to have a morass of laws that we will write. as just like fabric of laws that we're going to write across the United States to kind of deal with Amazon. So, you know, San Francisco just passed a law that that if you're if you're a if you're like a convenience or grocery store, I can't remember what exactly the rule is. You have to accept cash. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that's Amazon's because people were have, people were having these stores where you could you go in and you're like, hey, this just happened to me the other day. I was I went into um, Home Depot and I don't want to pay cash. You know, I'm like, yep, I, yes, sir. I'm the old get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm that guy. You gotta have right? a shotgun racking noise when you say that in the background. <laughs> anyway, so I want to pay right. cash, and this guy—they're like all these people are in. And sh- sure enough, the guy says to me, he "Goes, he goes, hey, yes, sir. Um, uh, charge, uh, charge or cash?" And I go, "Strilla, man." <laughs> he goes, "He goes, all right." <laughs> They're befuddled. People are befuddled. What is this? It's cash. Anyway, in San Francisco, that store, those stores actually got in trouble and they had to rescind their policy. Yeah. Because, you know, oh, well, you know, there's some people don't have a checking account or some people don't have a credit or whatever or debit card. That's, but that's, I mean, I guess it that's legit. Sense, cash is going away, man. Oh, there, oh, there's definitely a war on cash. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the uh, but Emma, I heard uh, I heard an article I heard an article I heard a news report on the radio driving to work about how this had, had happened and Amazon was mentioned as one of the big they have these Amazon it, it's and I've walked by one of these places so it's it, um, it's like a super super dense uh, stock shelving stock and very much looks like a maze like you go in but it's a convenience store. And they have uh-huh. and they have prepared food too. So like stuff that it's a prêt à manger stuff like ready to eat, right? So mm-hmm. you go in through the maze and you just like you turn on your Amazon app. I mean, I don't know if it works exactly like this, but it kind of works like this. You basically get what you want, and if you have the right stuff, you can just walk out because the store knows what you've got. Uh, at least that's their ultimate vision. But there's no cash. Even if you, you know, if you go check out, use Amazon Pay, hit your phone, or Apple Pay, hit your phone, or yep. or, or you run your card. You, might, you know, you're now chip card, which, you know, is even less risk for the bank. Um, and you're out the door. There's no way to pay for cash. And I believe there's very, there's like, there aren't, um, there's like one clerk in the whole store kind of thing. Yeah, the, the cash there's thing no, is so outdated, man. Yeah, there's I'll, nobody I'll, checking you out or there, you know. I got another Home Depot story real quick. Yeah, go ahead. The death spot, the home death spot. <laughs> you know the story. I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I should buy stock at Home Depot. I've been going in there a lot lately. <laughs> Every homeowner says this. 
But anyway, so I'm in there one time. I decide on it to cash. I decide to pay cash on my own. And they have actually have a register where you can go in and, you know, you can scan the items yourself. Yeah, and you, you can just ch- you can pay out. cash. Yep. So I so I do this and I put in um, I don't know I don't know what I put in. But anyway, the machine got jammed. Oh, so man. guess what? Somebody's got to come over. Oh yeah. Take the machine apart. Oh, yeah. Get Pull your cash out. out. The it's part like, that got jammed, and then hand me the cash. Yeah, it's like a print. What's the difference? It's like a printer problem. <laughs> the printer's just, jammed. So I look at the person. I go, "You're gonna always have a job here. You know they can't downsize you, man. Somebody's got to take this thing apart and pull out the Fix change." It. He goes, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Great." <laughs> Bye. Later. Oh man. <laughs> So anyway, Amazon is, uh, you know, Amazon's not going anywhere and I'm a, I'm a big Amazon fan. So, I mean, they're, you know, I'm, a, I'm all for it. I'm like you, man, if they can get me the products that I need and I can order it and I can get it, you know, the next day and it's in good shape. I mean, bring it on. I mean, what, what is wrong with that? Other people are just going to have to get in the race. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, there does there there does come a point in time where um, you you get monopoly power in a market where they're just. I mean, in Gallo, you know, Gallo. I'm not saying Gallo is a monopoly or anything, but having the Good. ability to influence price, yeah. uh, purchase price for a product that you resell or that you make something off of is starting to get to monopolies and an, an example potentially monopolistic power. Um by definition and you know it can it can have side effects unintended side effects that you just don't uh, think about uh, I think a good example is you know hearing people who work in these warehouses you know it sounds like it's pretty um, and I'm starting to see some of it I this is all anecdotal so you know starting to see some of it in, in Whole Foods you know, Amazon is a company who makes its money by being quantified. Everything that they do is measured. So if you go to work in one of these places and you haven't sort of had that um, that experience before, it's going to be a real wake-up. And you're not going to last if you don't meet the numbers. So, yeah. and, they're, and the other thing is, is they, you know, it seems, um, but more and more of our society is going this way. Like, if you work in Amazon, there's somebody somewhere watching you on a camera. Yeah. Measuring your, not not looking to see if you steal stuff, measuring how productive you are. Yes. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, you're supposed to stock shelves. Well, Al got 10 shelves stocked in his shelf stocking time, and you only got four. Let's see if you can get to 11 tomorrow, Bill. Yeah. And at the end of the week, I'm gone cuz I never hit up 6. Yeah, in the uh in the uh, uh well my wife deals with this all the time and she's always saying it. She's always talking about production. Production. I'm like, "Oh my gosh. <laughs> production." Yeah. In my world it's numbers. Yeah. You know, back in the day, yeah, yeah we still we still call it numbers. Yeah. What what have you done this week? Yeah. What did you do last week? Well, you're, you know, you're in sales, right? So you're yeah. used to that. If I'm a grocery store clerk who's worked in Whole Foods and then this this statistical beast jumped into my work life 
I, you know, and I look at the people in Sebastopol. I remember when they bought Amazon, and I'm just like, wow. Jeff Bezos is going to tell you when you need to serve me food now, not the universe. Man, it's going to be a new wake up call. And yeah, I can. You can definitely. You can definitely start to. It has a different feel. Let me say it that way. Oh, we, well. I want to I want to uh, just jump off real quick. You mentioned um, you you had me thinking about something because we've been talking a lot. Seems like we've been talking a lot about Gallo lately, yeah. And their size and yeah. you know their, their market share. <clears throat> Gallo not only owns um, they not not only does Gallo own a lot of uh, production capacity. Gallo owns a tremendous amount of actual acreage that produces quality quality grapes. grapes yeah. And um, I think I think Gallo owns the largest single vineyard site in Napa Valley on Pritchard Hill. Wow! Which is it's a it's I believe it's it's over a thousand acres. They bought it a few years ago. It's over a thousand acres, and it is Massive. premium Cabernet Sauvignon grapes, top notch. The hundred dollar a bottle stuff. Yeah. Do you know how big the vineyard is? <clears throat> the vineyard is. I've been, I think the vineyard's half of that, but they've been developing it. When they bought it, the uh, vineyard was about six hundred acres. Okay, so it's big. It's a yeah, it's a big vineyard, and they sell those grapes are wow. contracted out to all of these high end wineries: Dalgaval, Duckhorn, Palmire, Bryant, all of these big yeah. high end wineries. Uh, not big; these small. Uh, boutique wineries that make two hundred, three hundred dollar bottles of of Cabernet buy their grapes from oh, Gallo now. So, you know, hey, I mean, come on, man. What's going to happen when those contracts expire? Who knows? No, you know. Sure. So, I mean, it's it's just this whole this whole consolidation thing is uh, it's 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 much bigger and it's a little the threads run deeper than. Than, than a lot of people actually realize. And uh, speaking of deeper, how about deeper blue? <laughs> I just, um, how do you feel about blue, Bill? I are so you I, feeling blue? No, not today. <laughs> um, the uh, what's the? There's a liqueur that looks like this. Midori. Curacao. What is it? Blue Cur- Curacao. Yeah. So it, it's that color, if you know what that is. It's a sort of aquamarine blue, and there's a wine, There's two wines that um, in Italy that are that are these quote unquote natural blue wines from the grapes. I so, think the I think the wines are from Corsica. Isn't Corsica French a French oh, property? Sorry, yeah, French. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it probably was Italy at one time, and then French, and then Spain. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's all good. Um, I am a little uh, faux pas on my geography this morning. The, um, in the, um, what is it, Imagine? It looks like Imagine. I think they're trying to say the Imagine is a... Uh, oh, on the, in the photo? Yeah. Well, the bottom line is, I'll just cut to the chase. We're talking about a blue wine here, and it's been on the market for a few years. Um, it's... It's making a little bit of a rave. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I was uh, 
immediately suspicious of a blue wine having you know it's like i know what it, <laughs> i know what it takes to make wine i made wine before it's yeah like, well i'm just like that? what are they doing are they like running it through some kind of laser or something like how are they doing this so here's what's happened they've been busted and yeah. I, somebody I got suspicious and did a study with a mask back <laughs> lo and behold there's blue food coloring in there <laughs> So yeah, they they've been busted. So they're gonna be um, they're not gonna be making this wine anymore. So it's gonna become a collector's item. I can tell you that. And um, uh, you know, it's Dye E one thirty three, which is a brilliant blue FCF uh, whatever. It I mean, it's it's a chem it's a dye that is commonly used actually. Oh yeah, I think it's used for like I mean, you go. You buy a popsicles for your kid at the store, or whatever. I mean, I guarantee it's got this dye in it. You know, those blue, blue is not a natural color for a popsicle. <laughs> this is like not the blue the popsicle color is. <laughs> so, because so we're anyway, yeah. I mean, they, come they, on. they've got busted, and this is about um, you know, I'm they're gonna come. The French government's gonna come down on them pretty hard because I mean. If you want to, if you want to mess with the product that's made in France, don't mess with something that's made and it's supposed to be wine. And and I think they've already changed how they market it. At first, it was marketed as wine, and now they're marketing it as um, a flavored cocktail. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they're just they're in trouble. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Bill? <laughs> I'm with uh, Sylvian Milani, the CEO. That said, the dye was, in fact, mineral salt. Mineral salt. Okay, dude. And they, <laughs> they, they, they I, anyway, it's hocus pocus. We are treated as cheats because we have a secret process. That's right. That's so secret after they put the spectrometer on it, huh? <laughs> oh, man. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah. And the sign, what, who's... I'm reading the science. Veronique, the director of researcher in the uh, National Inst Agricultural Institute in France, said, I don't see how anthocyan derived from red grape pulp can make this wine blue. So basically she's saying somebody needs to explain the chemical process of how this gets blue naturally yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not, not going to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I do yeah. like they had really good they had you know you know way back in the day you could probably get away with this I'm putting it in water I'm adding seaweed there's all <laughs> kinds of like I'm washing the bottles with something there was something <laughs> like that and I'm like alright that's uh, that's good that's that's good a little blue, couple blue food coloring drops in and nobody sees that's my secret trade secret Unbelievable, man. Well, it's, it happens all the time in the food industry. So, I mean, wine is food. So, this is not, there's nothing new here. This this type of stuff happens all the time. Right. Everyone's trying to come up with a new angle. Right. Well, speaking so. of new angles, the, the last, um, well, I guess the second to last, or we could make this the last, or just do it quickly. We have an article about the hard seltzer boom. And as the article rightly points out, it's really the white claw bloom boom. Yeah, <laughs> there's it, everyone's it, talking about that white yes. claw, man. If, and, and if you don't know what that is, you haven't been shopping 
and for <laughs> I don't know months. And yeah, you can't go anywhere. I want to know how these guys got the distribution they got because it's insane. <clears throat> it went from they haven't even been doing this very long, have they? No, I wonder who owns White Claw. Uh, it says in here it's another. Um, it's a it's another big, uh, big company. It's gotta be man. Um, just reminds me of like Mark yeah, Anthony know. Brand. They also make Mike's Hard Lemonade. And, oh, it's from Boston Beer Company. So okay, it's from there Sam we Adams. go. Yep. So they've already got the shelf space. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm. So, I take that back. So White Claws, Mark Anthony Brands, they own Mike's Hard Lemonade. Truly is from Boston Beer Company. Um. But they um. And for those of you who really want to know what this stuff is, it's technically not seltzer um it's a it's what zima is if you remember what zima is which it's a flavored malt beverage really best commercials ever yep (laughs) that's right (laughs) and and to really wrap it up for everybody who likes to dig into a white claw it's just a little bit pared down from cold 45 (laughs) because it's a malt liquor (laughs) <laughs> it's a it's a malt liquor beverage. It's beer, um, at some level. Um, it's a flavored malt beverage. That's what White Claw is, and it's really, you know, they get it from fermenting alcohol grains, just like you you know you would sort of trying to create any other kind of alcohol. But um, and of course, then they carbonate all this stuff, and then they make it sweet, so people like to drink it. But I always find that funny. And the scariest part of this article is the four loco people are going to go into this stuff, which oh, is great. you know, like, well, Bill, it is it is gluten free. Okay? Fantastic, great. There we go. So I mean, great. if that's if if that's what you're looking for, um, you know, hey, people are. Have you ever had one? I have had one, and uh, eh. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand why yeah. people can. It's okay. Yeah, not not what I drank, but I understand what people where people might want to you know get there. The uh, uh, the last thing you posted this week for us to talk about is the the grape harvest. The look at the grape harvest. Um, you know, these things get written about every year, and what I like to take away from them is they often talk about the weather and how the weather impacted the season. Um, and so we had a lot of rain last year that, uh, that did really well, but the grapes, um, um, and it, the, I'm actually surprised the grapes are coming in as early as they are. Um, but they, um, um, and it is a surprise to me that they are, and they kind of confirm that, you know, that's true based on the weather, you know, it should be coming a little bit, um, um, a little bit more um a, a little bit later and really what it translated to in the the rainfall in the early point of the year at least um uh, what i took away from the article is actually increases canopy size so you get um you can get a lot more out of your grapes yep. um because of that um you just think they can take in more sun makes a bigger healthy hardier plant of course that's going to translate to better fruit so um you know that that's always interesting for these types of things. Um, it's also uh, it's also really interesting being in Sonoma County of how I'll say how delicate the sort of dance is in terms of trying to get the grapes in. Um, you know these things hit a certain um, measurement in terms of what they're looking for, plus what the 
what the vineyard managers and the winemakers even look at. And then they, it's like, okay, harvest, boom. Okay, that's 600 acres that needs to be picked like today. <laughs> like you've got, you know, like 24 hours kind of thing. Now, not all grapes are like that, but I, I do find the dance interesting. Well, now it's, uh, it's much easier uh, to do that because most of these grapes are just, they're harvested by machine. I mean, I remember, I'm, I'm thinking, I can remember 25 years ago when you'd be driving, you know, through um, wine country in the morning and there would just be cars parked <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And people running through the, you know, rows with the bends and dumping them. I mean, it, it was just that you rarely see that now. Yeah. I mean, you really, you really rarely see that. Plus, mostly, almost all of the picking is done at night. So you don't even really, yeah, you don't it's see almost it. like harvest isn't going on. You see the grapes hey, if you go to the winery. Yeah. Or you go to a winery. So I know a couple small wineries. If you go there, they're still, you know, they do some things mechanically. But there's, you know, there's a, a portion of their vineyards they're still doing by hand. Um, oh, yeah. All the small, I'm talking about, we're going back to about the Gallo the, thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. About the other seventy-five percent. I mean, they're they're set up. You go through Alexander Valley. You're on that valley floor. There's a machine that runs through there, man. There's the big tractor, and there's this guy on there. He's he's inside this thing. He's got his iPod plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> he's just going down the rows and. Yeah, just... and you know now the robot could be driving the vehicle off the satellite. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's getting uh, very sophisticated. It's um. But I do – it is interesting sort of the um, – you still have to get the bricks to where they are. Um, if anything, the, the mechanization can enable um, – you know, it's going to enable a better product because you can get things in at the, you know, at the desired, at the desired measurement that you want. Uh, anyway, that's what I got out of the article. I, I didn't bring up the wildfire stuff, but that's also a consideration in these vineyards – these vintages. Um well, yeah, this we're getting into it now. We're yep. just now is when it when it starts. Could happen usually right around Labor Day. So un unless you got those grapes in, you definitely could be a little bit, you know, a little bit worried. But um, the the big thing, and it mentions that at the end of this article is that um, the government's still trying to figure out this Gallo Constellation buyout. So what that's done is that has put a lot of contracts um, in in jeopardy. Uh, a lot of grape con contracts in jeopardy because Constellations doesn't want to be processing a whole bunch of grapes because they're trying to dump all those brands that those grapes would be used for. And Gallo, they can't buy the grapes because they don't have the contracts not solidified yet. So it puts puts a lot of people, uh, a lot of growers are kind of like in this 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 no man's land. Um, and that's all going to get figured out in the next three to four weeks. Wow. All, all the, all the grapes are coming in and to, to make it a little bit more complicated, not to be a downer, but this, <laughs> <laughs> this particular vintage, there's already a great surplus. There's, there's a lot of people that are sitting on a lot of juice already. And there's a, there's a lot of juice that's in the market that people have been trying to get rid of that was probably from not the best grapes because of some of the fires that we've had. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of excess juice just sitting around in tanks. And now we've got another vintage coming on 
this looks to be a really big vintage because we had so much darn rain um, um, last fall, last fall and last winter that the, the vines are just like, yeah, hey, so, yeah, you know, they're they're putting out a bumper crop. Yeah, it's gonna be. It should be. Bet. My expectation be quite large, actually, if yeah. not a record. So this is going to be. Uh, I don't know if you noticed driving around here. There hasn't been a whole bunch of new uh, vineyards being developed. Actually, there's been. Um, there's been some vineyards that have been uh, taken out and the, the land is just going fallow now. So um, I, I think that boom that we had, we're, we're starting to see a little deceleration. Off, yeah. Yeah. Although I have seen a lot of replanting going on. So Corbell took out um, a ton of, they. if you drive on River Road, mm-hmm. the, the, the production facility and tasting room, I'm just going to say is on the north side of the of river road right um and on the south they had all those grapes in there they took them all out and replanted that's all new vineyard in there and that's a sizable piece of property in there um you know it's um 20 acres or more probably through there and i never it's the it it's not railroad avenue but it's this um so i'm switching kind of really local here off of Stony Point, if you go into Katadi, it's sort of the first left by the right as you pass the soccer place. I can't okay. remember that road. I drive it every day too. I can't remember the name of the road, but the um, there's a there's a vineyard there that they ripped out and replanted, and it was very that's interesting. A Gallo Vineyard. I think that's a Gallo Vineyard. Interesting. It was very interesting to watch them take that vineyard apart. So they 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 ripped they you know took all the basically took all the the trellis workout you know and kind of they kind of sat there for a little bit then they took all the vines out and they put them in big piles and they left them there for they were just smoking they were like decomposing Mm -hmm. and it was they left them there i probably for i want to say three months or more and in between that time i mean it's probably about four months that they left them there just kind of just decomposing and they kept shrinking and shrinking and then they were gone one day. And then it, the next, literally the next day, as you described earlier, the street was, you know, it's cars everywhere. And they mm-hmm. laid in a whole new, you know, the whole new trellis work. Yeah. And then a day so late, they, yeah, day later, it was all planted. You know, I can, you know, I'm seeing it like in the morning, I'm dropping my son off at school. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, boom, vineyard. <laughs> and you can and you can bet that that vineyard's been laid out and planned for mechanical harvesting. Yeah, it's on quite a, a quite a hill. Yeah, I know. So I'd be surprised. What yeah, well these can do. well these machines. If you've seen the harvest machines, they have sort of two. It's almost like a U with two with four wheels on on yep. sort of each leg. I believe they can raise and lower those legs. Absolutely. So the idea is, is that on a hill like that, it can, it can, it can basically climb the hill, um, on a, you know, sideways. It can go sideways on the hill, but you know, to your point, Al, they figured a lot of that out. I mean, that the stuff you comes from Europe. Out, <laughs> you also have to figure out, you know, how much, you know, a lot of this is. I mean, it's farming, Bill. I mean, I mean we go back to this all the time. Okay, oh yeah. So the reason they ripped that vineyard out was not because it wasn't producing really good, you know, wine. Is because it wasn't producing wine at a profitable rate. Yeah, so they, yeah. they ripped that vineyard out. They're putting in a new vineyard. Chances are the new vineyard is going to be more efficient. It's going to grow the grapes that they want, that they see the market's going to want in the next four or five years. It's going to grow uh, grapes 
uh, a, a larger quantity of grapes, so they're going to be able to make more money, and it's going to grow probably a better quality grape because of the clonal selection. So That's, all of these things are factored in, yeah. and they're going to set it up for machine harvesting. It's going to harvest those grapes. They're going to cut down on the manpower there. It's all set up. They know that these these grapevines are only they're not going to last as long as the other ones once it gets to the point where it declines because what happens with the machine is it goes in and it just beats the hell out of the vines so it, it cuts down on the lifespan of the of the vines but they're saying hey we're, so what we're only going to get 25 years we'll replant again 25 years later yeah it's true it's the same thing it's true I mean it it's you know and what are they they're what three three or four years out I don't know how much. Before they get a, um, a a crop, they can use off that four uh, off those vines. Four or five years, yeah. yeah. You know, and that that probably is even. You know, those vines could even be tweaked that way. I don't know if that's possible, but it's uh, kind of interesting to know. I did wonder. I wondered. I I thought about that a lot of kind of why they did that. Um, you know, you know, uh, the other thing. The other reason I thought of is, you know, did they did they get did somehow that gets those vines get sick? Um, honestly, I think they were just sort of kind of to your point, the generation maybe first generation um, where a winery like Gallo is thinking about this in very business terms. So you know that 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 want that that vineyard was already very um, it looked like it was laid out for mechanical production. Where it was laid out, you know, to get machines in and out. They did change the orientation of it. It used to sort of go east-west. Now the vines kind of go north-south. At least the trellises do. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, and I'm that's a gross uh, directional thing. They probably are very... <laughs> that whole vineyard, to your point, is probably laid out to maximize everything sunshine oh. for the vines yep. the, you know mechanization of the labor uh watering you know everything it's, and it's i think it's a gallo property and uh you know not to put too fine of a point on it they've done their homework yeah yeah it's good it was good and it was fun to watch it was quite fun to watch i as i'm talking now i'm like dang i should have just taken a picture every day um <laughs> it would have made a good like a little photo thing photo journey uh, uh, on that note, what are you drinking? Drinking anything worthy of uh, <laughs> worthy of mention? Well, you know, it's like I said before we started the podcast. I've been pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I you know I I really haven't you know I probably have drank some good things, but I just haven't taken note of them. <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I hear my you. my alcohol intake has been actually kind of pretty low because uh, I just been uh, using uh, devoting so much time in other areas. Right. But I did have one bottle that's uh, of note. It's always a consistent. Um, it's just consistently good. I've 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 been exposed to this wine for probably like about twenty years now, and it's an it's an Italian white. It's a Suave, and you know we've had some pretty warm days, so I've been kind of drinking a few whites here. We've yep. had a little warm weather. Um, this is a Genie Suave Classico. It's a twenty sixteen. Um, which is an older vintage, um, which which is kind of a point of why I'm talking about this wine, is just because you buy a white wine, you don't have to drink it right away. I mean, if you forget about it for a year, it's going to be okay. Oh, it's fine. You don't want to leave it for twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Depending on the wine, there are there are some. I don't know. That's probably pretty stretching it for a white wine, but but there's a couple brothers that make this wine it's it's 100% uh garganaga which is the grape that's used to make suave, suave yeah. 
Um, and I'll post some more info about it, but uh, it's super, super smooth. What I liked about it more than anything is that it, it's 12.5% alcohol. It's old school wine. Yeah. I, I so, mean, but that's a great thing about a lot of the European wines is that they're just, they're not these, you know, you can have, you can have a, a nice glass yeah, without it's, feeling, it's, you know, You're not going to feel whacked. it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, sometimes you just want something that, that tastes good, that's refreshing, that goes with your dinner and you don't want to be zonked out. And, and that's uh, a, and that's a great, um, if you haven't had Suave before, that's, I would argue that's a. I'm pretty sure I'm. I know what you're talking about there, but yeah, it's yeah, the. It it's a Not good. Yeah, it's a good. I would argue it's a good producer to look for and buy, to try Suave. Yep, the Genie Brothers. It's G I N I. Yeah. And the current vintage that's out, I believe, is the 2017. Might even be the 2018 out. Um, they got a lot more pub of late because I think they got on the Wine Spectators hundred. Best lines of the year list, so that's a bummer. (laughs) Sorry. Good for them. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, Damn it. So now they're on the list. So, yeah, Yeah. everybody knows now. But run out and get yourself some Genie. Yeah. uh, And uh, you'll be happy. And open that Genie in a bottle. Ha ha. Um, All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. You can uh, reach us. You can reach us. You can reach Al on the Twitters. He's a uh, hammer in the Twitters at uh, Vino101net. You can also reach us at info at Vino101. And you can always leave a comment on our blog or on any of the places you download your podcast on. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.